Hey, hey, welcome to the Phil Drysdale Show. Uh, this episode, we've got Claudine Gallagher, who runs Post-Mormon Mental Health, which I'm very excited about. But just before we get started, I'm going to do one of those things where I give a plug before the podcast, and I will skip those, um, and I'm really very passionate about not giving them. But I just wanted to let you know that I have officially kind of launched um, my own kind of Patreon system, um, where for as little as $5 a month, you can give and join a online discussion group, an attempt to kind of make a bit of community, a bit of um, a safe place for people to discuss discuss different topics, mental health, um, race, politics, spirituality, um, all kinds of different things, different resources, um, a whole spread of different topics um, where people can engage uh, for um, just as little as $5 a month. People can engage with that and, and get plugged in. And so I wanted to let you know that you can do that. You can do it over at phildrysdale.com or you can hunt me out on Patreon if you prefer. Patreon do take a big chunk. So if you don't mind leaving the Patreon platform, you can do it via phildrysdale.com and um, the, the fees are a lot less for me. Um, but yeah, I just wanted to let you know about that. But for now, let's dive in to our chat with Claudine Gallagher, post-Mormon mental health. Thank you so much, so much for coming on. Um, Claudine, why don't you give yourself maybe a little bio? You could probably introduce yourself much better than I could. I've been following you on Instagram for a while and I love what you're posting on there. But beyond that, I'm probably not too familiar with uh, the, the ins and outs of who you are and what you're doing. Um, could you maybe introduce just the audience who don't know who you are? Who are you? What are you about? Yeah, sure. Thank you. Um, my name is Claudine Gallagher, and I'm an ex-Mormon. Um, I was a convert, actually, to Mormonism, and mm. I was involved for nearly 27 years, wow. and maybe around four or five years ago, maybe just four, it seems like a lot has happened <laughs> uh, in that time period. Um, I had a big shift in my thinking mm. and we can you know, go in and talk about that. But I, there was a time I thought I might be going crazy mm. <laughs> and that it was very scary and I felt alone and I really committed to myself if I could figure a way to get past this and to figure it out what was happening in my own brain and my world um, and find some practical strategies that I would help and serve and do everything that I could to set up a platform for other people so that they wouldn't feel like what I did. And, you know, yeah. I wasn't the first one through it. I relied on others who did that same thing. And so I just wanted to be part of the healing process because mm. I, I understood like how big of a shift it could be. Yeah. It's, it's a huge, I mean, the shift you're talking about, and I, I know that we're talking about slightly different movements when we're talking about Mormonism. And a lot of people listening to this are kind of maybe evangelical or coming out of kind of more conventional um, Christian movements. I'm not sure what the appropriate thing, I don't want to, you know, uh, crap all over Mormons by talk, saying they're not conventional, but I, certainly within the evangelical world, like Mormonism, right. sort of, oh, Mormons, are yeah, cults, yeah. you know, they're with the Jehovah witnesses uh -huh. and whatever. But um, so they're different, but really in my interactions with people that are in this process of deconstructing their faith within Mormonism, like the overlap is 
astounding. I mean, it's, it's, it is. It's, it you, is. Could, you could be talking to two different same people using slightly yeah. different language, um, but they're exactly. talking about the same processes, same sort of things. And, and it does seem like, I mean, in some ways, the, the Mormon community is even more um, kind of exclusive and quite extreme uh, when compared to a lot of uh, other Christian movements. And so that loss of community is a whole other level, it, it feels. Is that yes. fair to say? Yes. Yeah. No, Mormons do community extraordinarily well. Mm. And, you know, it is maybe, I don't know if you can call it one of the superpowers, right, of Mormonism because Mormonism or Mormon congregations are organized a lot like school districts. Right. Um, at least I know you're in UK. I don't know exactly how it works over there, but uh, in the United States, you know, you move to a particular city and once you have a house, a residence in that city, there is a school district in which, yep. you know, you reside in. And Mormonism is a lot like that. You can move basically anywhere, for sure anywhere in the United States, many, many countries in the world. And once you have a resident, residence, right, you are assigned a particular building that you would yeah. attend. So you can, you know, move and have people, a community, just instant, ready and waiting. Right. There's not church shopping you know, yeah. in Mormonism in that way. And people will help you move in, move out, bring you meals, right? It's set up, ready to go. And then you're That's instantly incredible. brought in, given a job and a task. Um, I think one of the things that's different in Mormonism than, than at least what I have seen in most Christian churches mm. is, you know, everyone has a job. And that there is, you know, no paid ministry on the local level mm. so someone would be called basically from the congregation to be the leader for a period of time and then that would swap right. out right but everybody gets different jobs everyone's a speaker everyone's a teacher mm. um and the so there is yes phil an extraordinarily tight yeah, sounds it. yeah i i joke with my wife a lot because we all we i we love watching documentaries but we love watching religious documentaries cults mm -hmm. i'm like oh i'm just drawn in but i joke with my wife a lot i'm like every time i watch something one of these cult things usually at the beginning not by the end by the end you're like what is this place at the beginning i'm always like this sounds amazing. And even just as you're describing that, I'm like, I want to be a Mormon. You, you know, there's yeah, this thing yeah. of like, we just love that community dynamic, the yes. belonging, having yes. people there that are, that they're going to do a good portion of the legwork of get, making you feel welcome when you move there. Like, you know, it's yeah. hard making friends and building a community mm -hmm. and finding a community. Like, there is something about the, the and churches are very similar like that in, in, in Christianity to some degree, one way or another. Obviously, there's a lot of, um, different dynamics with staffing and, and all sorts of different uh, components mm -hmm. at play. But but that's one thing that church is well known for is that it, on some level as a community, it's a, a gathering yeah. of people, uh, it, maybe in a lot of movements, a lot less local. It feels like it's become a very church shoppy mm -hmm. kind of experience. You go to the mega church an hour down the road and then don't see anyone for a week or, you know, um, but yeah. So tell me, so you, you converted into Mormonism. Now I don't know many people that have had that experience. Most people mm -hmm. that I know that have been Mormon and uh, those that are Mormon and have come out 
um, were born into Mormonism. I don't know many people yeah. that are pulled in. So what was your kind of upbringing like that led you to the place where you went yeah, into Mormonism? So I grew up in a home without religion. So my parents are now practicing Catholics. That's okay. another story, okay? <laughs> uh, but during the time I was growing up, we didn't attend church. We didn't really, we didn't pray in our house. It just was not really a topic we talked about very mm. often. Like maybe a handful of times I went to a church with some friends or there was a, there was a time period when I was a young teenager that my mom tried to take me to see if I could just connect and make friends sure, but I don't sure. even remember all the reasons that so they, they weren't did. super anti-religion per se mm -hmm. no 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 but they just were fairly indifferent on the whole. right exactly mm, yeah so um, my mom was a nurse and ended up working on a floor that specialized um, heart patients, you know, she watched heart monitors. And so my religion, if you want to call it this, when I was little, you know, my mom would tell me about stories where people died, Wow. you know, and some of them were revived. Wow. And there were some instances where one story she told me in particular, you know, she went to work one day and the the minute she got there, you know, there was a patient in cardiac arrest who had never been there before. So she didn't mm. know this patient. She didn't have a relationship with this patient. So she ends up, you know, getting rushed into the room. There's all kinds of things going on. And she ends up, while she's there, her stethoscope falls off onto the floor and she picks it up. Anyway, this patient ends up being revived. And a few days later, she is able to have a conversation with him. And she tells me, you know, how he explained how he was floating above his body. Wow. And he tells her about the fact that she dropped her stethoscope. Wow. Right? That's so great. as a young child, I'm thinking, well, this is interesting. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know? Right. Like, and you know, I would hear other people later, and this isn't on the only type story I heard mm. like this from her, but it was one of those specific, like if he was having a delusional experience or like a dream, you know, he wouldn't be able to tell or explain what actually did happen sure, at the very yeah. moment, right? He was pronounced dead. And so to me, that was like intriguing. Wow. It was like, well, maybe there's something that mm. is consciousness that perhaps lives outside, you yeah. know, body. So I- So I what sort of age are you when you're thinking this, when you're like having these kind of thoughts of like, oh, maybe there's consciousness kind of exploring on some level, some spiritual kind you of know, thoughts. I would say preteen, early teen. Okay. Age is when I, the, these, this kind of thinking started coming together. Sure. Stories I can't even remember when they started. Like mm. I remember stories like this from my mom on mm. and off uh, for some time. So when I was 15, my great grandmother died in my arms. Wow. To say that that rocked my world would be just an understatement. <laughs> that 
I like my life changed and altered on that day. I, I did not know how anyone could move forward, how to exist in a world where she was not part of it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, this was one of those cases where, I mean, she waited for me to die. Like she had a stroke. She was in the hospital. I knew she was waiting. Mm. I knew she wouldn't die till I got there if she could help it. But, you know, this, this was an incredible amount of pressure. I can see now looking back at my teenage mm. self. I mean, what do you do when you're 15 years old and what you don't want more than anything else is for this person that you love more than anyone else, <laughs> you know, to leave. Yeah. And it feels like it's uh, like your, her life hung in my hands for a period of time. I'm not saying like, I knew she couldn't live forever, but I knew she was going to hold on yeah. for a bit until I showed up. So like when I got into the hospital I remember I hid in the bathroom for like, I just shut the door. I didn't want to come out. I was just, I didn't know how to do this thing. Sure. Well, very few people are taught how to do this, right? I mean, mm -hmm. yeah, it's right? intense. And it's, it's when it's your first kind of major kind of experience with death, like yeah, everything is new. Like, I mean, yeah. And, and I mean, I, I lost my mother three, two, three years ago. I can't remember now. Um, mm -hmm. But that was my, you know, I've lost grandparents, but I wasn't very close with them and things. Like, and, and I was probably 30, close to 35. Yeah. And I had never really navigated death, never really processed, never really thought, never, mm -hmm. like you're saying there, like it's, 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 you know, making me like emotional, just hearing like when you're yeah. talking about like, how do you exist in this world still when they don't like what does that mean like i don't understand yeah. that there's no yeah. great grandmother that there's no mom like what does that you know it, it, your whole world is framed in it. and to be going through that i mean i struggled at 35 <laughs> so i mean as a 15 yeah. year old i mean it's as, huge it was right yeah. i knew it was both one of like the most painful but if i could say spiritual i mean there was this like it cracked me open mm. it like it required a deeper level of love than i've ever had to exercise like to walk out of that bathroom right and go over to the hospital bed and i crawled like right literally in the bed with her and put my arms around her and you know, told her I loved her and that I knew that she couldn't stay, mm. you know, and that I would hold her, you know, until she was ready. And within a minute or two, wow. you know, her, I felt something and I don't know how to, anybody who's like been in the presence of someone who dies knows what I mean. She was there. She was with me. I was holding her and then she wasn't 
there. Mm. And it's this shift that was, you know, I felt this through. And, you know, of course, then I go into a panic. Um, and the, that shift was so intense for me. Like uh, the next day when I woke up, I remember like logically understanding that most people didn't know, know her, <laughs> that mm. of course their car's still driving down the road and that people are going to work. But at this deep emotional level, I didn't get it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like yeah. how, can, how can the world just go on as if this didn't happen? You know, and so I went on this like deep, seeking and searching mm. like I wanted to understand like what happened to people when they died um about a year later there was a teenage boy in my extended neighborhood who was shot by another teenage boy um it's interesting. It's hard for me to figure out how to tell this story because I am now married mm. to the brother of that boy. Wow. But at that time, my, my now husband, right? He was a teenager. I was a teenager. He, my husband was in Germany on an exchange program. And so in that, and that they were Mormon in this mm. household. The father wasn't living in the home anymore. So there were three boys, Michael, who's my husband. He was in Germany. It was Kevin who was shot. And then there was Todd and he was young and he was now there just with him and his mom. Mm -hmm. And my heart after experiencing what I did with my grandmother, you know, the year before, yeah. um, I just thought, oh my goodness, I can't even imagine like this was hard for me and she was she had lived a long life yeah and i'm thinking oh you know i felt like everybody whoever like even heard of this should go to the that funeral and support this mom and young son um michael could not come back there were wow. there were reasons yeah. in which they made that decision and so so i went and what I experienced at that Mormon funeral was not what I expected. Mm. Uh, there were all these people like suggesting they knew exactly what happened after you died, sure, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> like they knew why they were here, where they came from, right? What was going to happen? They knew this whole plan. And I can remember going home just being so confused. Like, I just didn't know what to make of it. Like, either these people were, like, very delusional <laughs> or they knew something that I clearly didn't. Yeah. <laughs> and so a few months later, missionaries came and, you know, knocked on my door and I had questions I wanted to ask <laughs> them, right? You've been waiting for them to <laughs> knock on the door. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I was not what you would call a golden convert in Mormonism. This is like one of those people who are just like instantaneously say, okay, and they're baptized two weeks later. That was wow. not me. I <laughs> argued with many sets of missionaries. I, I'm pretty sure I almost talked a few out of being Mormon. <laughs> because That's funny. 
And it's fun now to look back at teenage me and some of the things I can remember saying to them, mm. like, you have to believe this to believe this, I can remember saying. Yeah. <laughs> like, you're saying I need, like this book, the Book of Mormon, right, says to pray about it to determine if it's true. And if it is, then this and this and this will happen. But I'm, but it says it in the book. <laughs> Is what, yeah. like, I'm like, you can't do that. I didn't know the word circular reasoning at that time, but I'm like, that does You'd cottoned on to it though, right? Yeah. Pardon? <laughs> you had cottoned on to circular reasoning though. Yes, that's right. Like, like no, you can't do that. That's funny. You, you can't start with the thing to prove the very thing that you started with. So um, anyway, I, I ended up you know, like arguing, I said, on and off, connected to missionaries for a few years. After I graduated from high school, all my friends that, you know, I had been with in high school, kind of many, many moved on to other colleges. I was living at home, commuting to a local college, and I was pretty lonely, actually. Mm. And there, there, my light, there were aspects that like, I just, a lot of things that were not working for me and I was ready to move on, to move out. And at some point, I think I just decided that I wasn't going to figure this out by sitting on the fence and doing nothing. So, you know, some of the missionaries that I had met with like a long time ago had come back in the area to Christmas Carol about 11 o'clock last night. One of them, when some women in, you know, a Mormon congregation said, Hey, Claudine, I wish, I think, you know, if you, if you decide to be baptized tomorrow, these guys would stay an extra day. <laughs> and cause they were going to head back to what the States in which they lived. And right. I'm like, Hmm, okay. <laughs> so, you know, I just <laughs> jumped in and thought I'm going to have a life experience. I'm going to see. Yeah. And so that's kind of how it started for me, you know, but right. you know, they did an interview. They always, they, this is how Mormonism is. They do a baptismal interview and they're like, well, do you think, you know, Joseph Smith is probably, well, I think he taught some good things. <laughs> He taught some life-affirming principles, I can remember saying. I don't know if he's a prophet, but I would love to believe that what this he's saying is true. You know, and that was enough. They let me get baptized. So, right, so it's good. a fairly low entry bar then for the most yeah. part. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's right. That's, That's right. Funny. So, um, so I just jumped in about nine, ten, I don't know, ten months later. I uh, ended up transferring to BYU and then met lots of Mormon young adults mm. and, you know, stayed there and graduated. But that's where, you know, I kind of got more infiltrated and. Sure. You know. But mean, that's a perfect time to be, you know, absorbing yeah. a new religion is going to mm -hmm. college in this amazing tight knit community. I mean, I talked to several people online from, you know, BYU that are there and have deconverted, but are, enjoying the benefits of a much cheaper education because of it. So they're kind of yes. undercover or, you know, whatever. Yeah. And, um, and it's, it's, it sounds like the ideal place if you're in, right. I mean, if, yeah. if you're in that well, system, you know, you're I wanted and... friends who didn't drink and do drugs mm, and who yeah. I could have interesting discussions with 
and would have a good time. Right. And still, and oh yeah. my God, like that was the place for that. Like yeah, there were, uh, no one <laughs> did the drinking and the drugs. Right? right. And there, there was, it was a, for the most part there, it was a, an amazing academic environment. Mm. Yeah. No, I, I've, and, I've heard that for sure. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. So, that was so you're just out of high school basically maybe a year or so into college and you kind of are over there yeah so you're still very young um and, and you said you spent about 27 years in the the belly of the beast and so yes. you you bought in right at some point you went from yeah. going eh, let's see what this joseph mm -hmm. guy's got to say i like some of his ideas let's see if he's profity um, and at some point you bought in enough to be like no this guy's a prophet and i'm yeah in. It was a slow process, I'll say, a partial buy-in to partial, like there's, and there's still, there were always just a couple of things. I'm like, mm, I don't think I can go there. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, but I think when I had children and then started teaching them and then really got more involved in meaningful service type you know experiences and meeting other women doing the same mm. kind of thing you know and then you're just surrounded with it it's like you know it's an intense time consuming commitment if you go all in to mormonism because sure. it's like three hours of church on sunday plus like i said everybody has a job so there's all the you know the getting ready to teach parts and things that happen during the week plus you're supposed to you know read your scriptures every day say your prayers do like listen to you know, leaders of the church give all their talk. I mean, it's, there's a lot happening. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it, it can be like a part-time job to be a full-time Mormon. I can believe it. I can mm -hmm. believe it. Wow. So yeah. what happened? What, where did it all go wrong? Right. So you're, <laughs> you're in the system and you're kind of, yes. you're, you're presumably like enjoying it for yeah. the most part. I mean, maybe a few niggles mm -hmm. here and there, you maybe think a couple questions and go, Oh, let's just not go there. That's kind of a bit, out there anyway it's yeah. not as relevant or whatever but where did it start to kind of go yeah. wrong that's a very a funny term because i'm so, not sure either of us would say wrong but <laughs> in mormonism they call things that like what you're talking about a couple things you can't buy into or whatever you mm. know they call that putting put that on your shelf all right, right. like those are yeah. these questions you have you just stick them on a shelf like and and know that someday it will make sense someday mm. you will get answers so what happened was like some things I didn't ever totally buy to other things. Like my shelf was starting to get pretty heavy. Right. Walls kind of starting to kind of pull forward mm -hmm. a bit. <laughs> and that there was several kind of bigger things coming into that, that I didn't really realize how heavy they were making my shelf mm. at the time but it really was weighing me down. Um, things with regard to sexual purity and the impact those teachings were having on young people. I was kind of in an arena with some of my jobs within the church and some of the other things I was doing, you know, for work or volunteer that uh, gate, 
I had a unique opportunity to connect with many teenagers and then also young adults and interview those young adults about their experiences as a teenager. Sure. And the more information I got, the more I was like, but wait, <laughs> this is there. This is the, the shame that is being caused is so much more intense than the problems that I'm, <laughs> that mm. religion is telling me, right? Like right. the things you're supposed so, to be trying to avoid. Like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like the end result was not producing, like even in, you know, the religious sphere, they would say, okay, in marriage, sex is beautiful, right? Like mm -hmm. that's what religion would say. And yet all the shame that was, was not producing help sexually healthy people it, to go into their marriage right sure. like they were carrying over so much that they weren't able to shift gears like mm. religion says and so yeah. so i was having some of that evidence um i was also teaching and in the course of teaching i was like discovering more and more things that were not adding up um and but what really was my, my compelling reason to really look harder and investigate deeper was my oldest son. Mm. He was 19 or 20, and he went into a severe depression mm. such that he was sleeping like 20 hours a day. Wow. At that age he like completely shut down and uh, he wasn't living in the same state as we were at the time um he actually ended up moving into my parents with my parents and going to a college by them temporarily and like i said they're not mormon that wasn't part of his but he had it turns out read what's called the ces letter i don't know if you've heard about this within mm. the realm of mormons leaving but he had read that and several other things and he it, the information was so challenging for him you know sure. it just shattered his faith yeah do you want to give a quick cliff notes of the ces just because a, a lot of people listening might not know kind of some of the mm -hmm. main outlines of that in fact, yeah. I probably don't know all the well, outlines of that either. So it's been a while, yeah, actually, since I've while. read it, and I've read so much else. I'm like trying to remember which facts. But to, you know, to sum it up, you know, when you think about Mormonism, it's a relatively new religion mm -hmm. in that you know it goes back to the 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 early days and you know I don't know 18. 20s 30s right um experiences that joseph smith had and the the very truth claims of mormonism are connected to the specific experiences mm. of joseph smith and so this letter basically shows in many many ways that first of all the stories that the church has been giving have not been uh, complete at minimum, okay? <laughs> Big pieces missing mm. and not minor factors. Factors that actually really matter connected back to the truth claims wow. of the church. So like when you go there and you realize twofold, like one, the church 
hasn't been disclosing. They've been, you know, some people feel outright dishonest lying to them. And at minimum, though, there's no way around it. They have omitted significant yeah. facts and not just in one area. So you go there and you're like, whoa, first of all, it's not true. Second of all, the very like organization I have trusted, the organization that has asked me year after year, if I am honest in all my dealings with my fellow man, right? This is like one of the, at mm -hmm. least for adults who are, have gone to the temple. This is like, they bring you in to get your temple recommend. They ask you these questions. They actually define what honesty is. And if you go to the very definition, in their most basic, they call it gospel principles, right? It includes omissions of this sort mm. as being, right? So they are not following their very own you know, they're not walking their talk. This is like lack of integrity. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And at the expense, not just like towards anybody, towards their very own people yeah. who have been sacrificing everything for this organization. Mm -hmm. And so like this can throw like people for a loop like you would not believe. Yeah, absolutely. So this is for those who who this is part of their reason out. We're talking betrayal trauma. Mm. And for my son, I would say on the subconscious level, this wasn't, you know, he, he wouldn't have been able to quite fully express this at the time. But for him, there was no win, no matter what he did. If he told us and we didn't believe him, right? then you know we could reject him we could be disappointed we could try to rescue him there's all these possibilities if we don't yeah. you know agree but if he did if if we read it he tells us we read it and we lose our faith and our purpose for life yeah. and all of our friends and everything we've believed in and it's his fault yeah can you imagine like, again, this is a, it's a lot to carry at that age. Like, yeah. yeah, like he can see I can't do this to my parents and I can't do this. And so he shut down. Mm. Of course he did. You know, he couldn't speak. I didn't have any idea what was going on for quite a while. All I knew is whenever I brought up anything connected to church, there was a look on his face that... Mm. My mom sensed my life experience said trauma. This kid has been like, I was starting to worry he had been raped, you know, mm -hmm. or beaten or like something that was like, it was like, this was not trivial. I could tell that. And, yeah. you know, it's like one of those things you want to be tender and you don't want to, you know, no, he's got to come to this when he's ready. But like, I want to be there for him. I want him to heal. But of course, at that time, I wanted him to heal and I wanted him to come back to church. Sure, of course. I mean, you don't want him to lose his salvation and all these kind of mm -hmm. concepts, right? Yeah. Mm. And in the process of 
being with him, there came a time when, I mean, all I can say is this was, I call this maybe besides my great grandmother and that, that which was the other kind of, this was a spiritual experience for me. Mm. The Mormon me would have said, and the Holy Ghost came and talked to me, right? And said, now I don't care if you want to call God your higher self. Like I definitely had a, had a, a message that came from not the the indoctrinated me from Mm -hmm. some other part of me that like i uh, like almost heard literally that said for ian to heal you need to let go of your desire that he ever come back Mm. and i can remember thinking I don't how do I don't yeah. know how to do that. Like it just it, it sent me for a little bit of a shock for a bit. Yeah. And I just started to just start to breathe in and what and start looking at his pain. And again, something cracked open. I can't put it mm. into words. But when I did in fact actually want him to heal more than I wanted anything else he felt it Mm. like there was a shift. I, you can't fake that. (laughs) Like, like when it was real and I could look him in the eye, you know, and it was like, I am here for you, whatever it is, let's do this together. Right? Like I will read Mm. anything you want me to read. I, if you want to remove your name from the records, you know, whatever it is, I 100% well, I support you. I want you to heal. And at that point, I made one request. I just said, for my sake, would you please wait two months before you have your name removed? You know, would you be willing to consider that just to give me a little time to adjust? And I will be with you. Like I said, I will every, I will read anything. Let's do this together. Mm. And so, and at that point he was like, so sweet and so and he said sure mom (laughs) you know and and when I opened up that's when I did my reading and of course what I found was not what I expected right yeah Mm -hmm. the shelf came off the wall (laughs) yeah yeah oh my goodness did it and the part I didn't tell you about was from the time we brought Ian back home to live with us, and I'm starting to help him to heal, Ian's brother, Sean, is getting ready for, and he left on his mission. Wow, good timing. So my shelf crashed two months after, and so Sean is not yet out of the Mexico MTC. I have 22 months before he is going to be back. And I'm going to have any kind of real access to him. Mm. At that time, things have changed. But at that time, there were four phone calls. Wow. And his companion was present. And you could email, but this is not like the kind of thing. And I didn't even know if my emails might be monitored. Like I had no idea at this point who to trust anymore. Like I did not trust the church. Right, (laughs) yeah, yeah. So... So that that probably was the hardest part to figure out how do I cope with this? How do I handle how? Because there were moments I just wanted to get on a plane mm. and go, you know, talk to him. 
but he was an adult and I did not want to coerce, right? I didn't want to, so figuring out, okay, how am I going to handle this? What am I going to tell him and when? How am I going to be honest with him? And give him the option, should he want to take it, which I also thought was the most useful for him at that time, to not have a faith crisis on his mission and be mm. alone, right? Yeah. No, absolutely, yeah. It, you're yeah. highlighting something that, I mean, this comes up again and again and again and again, is that while like our deconstructions and our deconversions and our crises of faith, whatever we call them, um, are deeply personal unique experiences they never happen in a vacuum like we we are Mm -hmm. tied to all these different people be it family friends church communities whatever it looks like Mm -hmm. and it's really hard for us to it's impossible for you to untangle those webs and so you know that's one of the benefits of something that has quite cult-like behavior, like church, Mormonism, Christianity, any kind of religion can be quite cult-ish in a sense. I'm not saying it's a cult, but you know, it has a mm-hmm. different elements. No, I, but it I don't ties have a problem with that word, it Phil. Like, I get it. It fits the bite model. So no. I don't use it constantly and all the time because it's not always useful and it's a yeah. trigger word for lots of people, right? But it's an authoritarian religion, absolutely, yeah. right, for sure. And, um, you know, and by that, I mean, it has high expectations, you know, extraordinarily strict rules, and next to no tolerance for difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when you combine those things, you know, and then you add God and have to and must. Yeah. And he's holding a big stick yes. over you in case you do it wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and it definitely, I mean, there is mind control. I can now see exactly how that came to be for me. This was part of my deconstruction. Like how, as I started to get the signals, like what happened to my brain? How did I let go of this and this? How did I jump into that circular reasoning? Yeah. And then what were all the pieces I had to figure out for myself to, yeah. to feel sane again? Yeah, but it's, it's, I mean, it's remarkably hard to go on a, a, a journey like you've gone on where you're juggling. I mean, like, so I know your whole family dynamics, but you've got these two sons that are very different experiences right now. One's gone, uh, mm-hmm. this is not legit. And I'm like, mm-hmm. just totally traumatized by it. The other one's going, as presumably on some level, he's going for mission. I know that there's different tolerance yeah. levels at which people choose to go on mission, but a lot of people do. Uh, you know, he, he's bought in on some level. And then so you go, yeah. well, my decision here in the middle will have an impact on these two people. Never mind, mm-hmm. you know, the 200 other people that I'm in relationship here, there, yeah. and everywhere, and how that works in each one of them is unique. And, and it mm-hmm. will affect me. It will affect my family. It will affect how we connect. It will affect how they feel. It will affect their future. It will affect my work. It will affect, it's just this avalanche. Ah. And so even though we're, we're starting to see these cracks in the foundation, we're starting to see the shelf sagging and, and pulling on the wall, there's this part within us at the same time wanting to kind of like see what happens if we like tug the shelf but at the same time desperately holding the shelf up you know and we're we're at this kind of tension (laughs) war with ourselves yes um 
it's, it's a very, very hard problem. I guess this is why I guess. Um, so coming out of this, um, you now, again, I mostly know you from your Instagram. I know you've got website and bits and pieces, but your, your Instagram is post Mormon mental health. Have I got that yeah. right? I, I remember mm-hmm. it right. Yes. Right. Correct. Um, and, and, and so you are obviously um, reading and judging the, the book by its cover wanting to help people that are coming out of Mormonism, post-Mormon, uh-huh. with their mental health. Like, yes. what are some of the, the biggies that you are looking at? Maybe, you know, I'm sure you've been through uh-huh. this, your son, you know, different people right. that you've, you've experienced over the years, you've probably uh, built that more and more and seen certain mm-hmm. patterns develop and, and sure. things going on there. But what are kind of some of the big kind of issues at play at that beginning stage where you are going ah, oh, this is starting to fall apart, but you know, it feels like there's a lot of potential, um, almost like mind control, like what you're saying there, like, you know, these, these systems mm-hmm. at play, these very cult like practice, um, practices, whether intentional or not, um, mm-hmm. that do set us up to be quite, um, we're, we're not at a healthy place yeah. to make those decisions you know, to, yeah. to, to, to go on this journey we're we're, we're dealing with right. a lot of trauma, with mental health issues, with depression, with, yeah. with fear, with anxiety. Um, mm-hmm. what yeah, are you were set things? up to be dependent on that organization, mm. you know? So I think, you know, for evangelical Christianity at some, the message is fundamentally you are broken, right? Yeah. And yeah. therefore you need a savior. If you don't believe you're broken, I mean, that is what has to come first. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the good in news. Mormonism, when you go out and evangelize, right? you go out and tell people you realize you're terrible and awful. Yeah. <laughs> it's a bizarre model, but you know, that's, yes, that's how it right? starts. You have, you have to, to realize that them. first. Yeah. Yes. So, and in Mormonism, it's, they would use, a, you know, slightly different language, but the idea over here is you have to prove yourself worthy. Mm that that's the purpose, right? So, but again, they have to create shame to be the solution. Mm. And this is in part what I was seeing in some of these pieces I was having to put together because I didn't have certain kinds of shame until I had the missionary discussions. You know, they had to really fundamentally convince me that there was, that I was that problem broken right that i had been doing things wrong (laughs) that you know and i think it's that sexual piece that Mm. is probably the most powerful that is utilized towards teenagers you know in a time when they are developing they are coming into themselves they're you know having sexual feelings emerge as they enter puberty right and that's 100% normal and natural mm-hmm. and you know in mormonism what and i don't know if you've seen this like me talk about this on the post but they talk about you know any breaking of the law of chastity is being a sin next unto murder yeah okay so like when you really think about it, like people understand kids lie. No child will be honest all the time. No. 
or now, adult most of the time. <laughs> right, right, right. For sure, developmentally, kids are going to do it for all different. Sometimes they just have an imagination. They don't even think about well, lying. They actually yeah. think they are Superman for a while or whatever. Mm -hmm. But like, there are also times they don't, they're not honest because they don't want to get in trouble or these kinds of things, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, no parent, at least I can't imagine, a, a loving parent the very first time you know they're five-year-old or four three-year-old for you like you are like a murderer right <laughs> like yeah. now you need to go confess but this is basically what's being done to our 11 10 11 12 13 year old kids yeah like yeah. something like even if in that realm like i don't think sin is like already you're causing the shame just that word alone, mm -hmm. instead of like, this is a developmentally normal part of growing up. Yeah. So if you want to teach kids like the like honesty as a principle, like that can be a beautiful thing. We we want to teach kids that, you know, they, they, they have sexual feelings, that doesn't mean they can just impose themselves on other humans anytime, right? Like they have, they sure, need to right. learn how to cope with that, how to deal with that, what that means, how to engage in the world, like how to get, have a better understanding of these feelings. Mm. So the principles, you know, there would be like, oh, you've discovered this thing. Like, that's amazing. That means you are a healthy human teenager, yep. right? Now, this means we get to start having those conversations about, you know, consent and how you want to make decisions about this as you grow older. And let's talk about this and let's talk about this. And let's like look at it at all different angles. That would be like a healthy approach to like talk more. But yep. what happens in religion is there's no discussion for in most people's homes. It's no, 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 bad, 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 right? Yeah. Like you are the problem from the get-go. Don't feel this. And the moment you do, like sin next to murder, go confess to the bishop. Mm. You know, this, this like, and in Mormonism, they have a meeting, a sacrament. It's called sacrament. I know Catholicism has sacrament, right? But in Mormonism, every week, everybody... It's the 12 year old boys and up, it's always boys in Mormonism who pass the sacrament, bless and pass it. So they just take the little trays around to aisle to aisle, you know. So, but the bishop, if a boy is, for example, masturbating and comes in and confesses, you know, may tell that boy, you can't pass the sacrament. Right. Or to a boy or a girl, you can't take the sacrament. Meaning you're sitting on that row with your family and everybody can see you don't grab the bread off the plate, right? right? This is public shaming. Yeah. This is the worst so, part of my teenage years was the, yeah. the weighing up that if there was anything that I had, like if I had masturbated that month, week or, you know, if I've watched porn or, you know, had a thought about someone, whatever, that's it. You know, I can't touch the communion. But if I don't uh -huh. touch the communion, then everyone's going to know I Everyone did that. Knows, so I've got right? to toss up between... Um, okay, do I want God pissed off with me or do I want everyone to know yes. I masturbate? And it's like, yeah. 
right? I, and it was different outcomes most of the time. But most of the time, I just took the sacrament. I rolled the dice. You know, <laughs> I was I was yeah. more fearful of what people thought of me than right? God, apparently. <laughs> so well, Mormonism would take that to the next level, Phil. And mm. without like because you're a teenager, some uh, adult is going to call you in at least every six months and start asking you questions, right? Mm -hmm. So in the midst of that, you either can lie, <laughs> then you yeah. have it like point blank, right? And a lot of teens go that route. Yep. Yeah. And but and others though believe that the bishop, because this is part of what they're taught, has this mantle of authority. Basically, he's gonna know anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. So if you you can't actually lie with that, like some of the young people believe that yeah. message. And so then they feel, oh, you know, and then and these bishops have zero training. They're just mm. regular humans who get called from the congregation. And then the next week they're supposed to be in charge and wow. yeah so this is for the youth and i'm starting to see some of these things and the consequences um and the consequences of the lack of discussion mm. i worked with a group for a while that was i mean it was geared towards helping the situation of very young children being exposed to pornography. We're talking prepubescent, okay? Sure. So most of us, I think the large majority of adults in the world agree that exposure to pornography is not ideal for five, six, seven-year-old kids, right? Yeah. <laughs> so like that actually isn't where any controversy is right you're going to be really <laughs> right? hard pressed to find someone to debate you on that one <laughs> right but that actually is when young people are being exposed now yeah. because of the internet but what's happening is you know they don't even know the word they actually maybe need someone to talk to mm -hmm. and so i worked with a group and i still support the idea of parents having open conversations with their very young kids to at least say you know hey and this stuff exists and here's what you might, you might like. And if it happens, like, please come talk to me. Here's what you do. This really yeah. isn't healthy for kids your age. And, you know, and nobody should take a picture of you without your clothes on. And nobody should ask you. Like, these conversations sure. are useful and helpful. What I ended up discovering, though, in the midst of working with that um, was that the parents' reaction was far more scarring than mm. pornography exposure wow. <laughs> on the kid. And so this was another one of those like huge shelf items that, you know, started ended up happening. And so like, and realizing the more I did interviews and surveys, the more I really realized people are not being given any information. These aren't like, and the parents are scared. And in the religious paradigm, as a parent, I was scared too. There's good reason it, when you're in that paradigm to be terrified actually, mm -hmm. because of all yeah. the things that you hear. Yeah. I mean, and it doesn't feel like there's a way out. No, it's, it's a biggie. I mean, it only really became a big deal in uh, Protestant Christianity in recent, you know, decades, really, mm -hmm. like, you know, last probably 50 years or so. Um, but it's one of the big things now. I mean, I, I went through youth group and literally every week, 
youth group, we'd break into male, female groups. The girls would get some sort of talk about how you to, you know, hang in there and your only value is basically in getting married, but you're just wonderful as a single person. You keep doing that. You keep running after God and eventually someone will be there for you. Despite the fact there's two females for every one male that are single in the church mm. but no one was bringing up the question of like how does that work has god got a plan at some point he's going to double all the males um so that was the females they often had their kind of like singles talk you know and and you know be good or whatever but everyone knows girls should be pure and you know we don't even that's not even a discussion wow. right that's just like it's mm. hold over of property basically right i mean it's just terrible I, no but, it's its own kind of sex trafficking it's real it's horrific right yeah it's it's turning their bodies into a material object yeah. as if a body is pure or not pure yeah. it's a body right yeah. you can't bodies cannot be defiled mm -hmm. by by a, a choice someone makes right like or in the case of you know, if someone is raped, that's not defiling them. <laughs> that's like all on the perpetrator. Yeah. <laughs> that that person is the one that has done the horrific thing. Yeah. This is like, it doesn't mean anything. Like has, I mean, to, to connect this with worth, it's just so, or purity it's or whatever horrible. that it's like, it is, it's, it really, really, really is. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it hard holds over from, from property. That's really what it yeah. boils down to is it's the, it it's the language of the, the Old and New Testament where women were property. And that's not a statement yeah. about religion. That's a statement about the world for up until a few hundred years ago um, yeah. and is in the world now a lot of the world, yeah. you know. And, and so but it, you can see it in the way parents talk about their daughters that lose their virginity. They literally mm -hmm. talk about their daughters almost as, as their chattel, you know, they're, they're like, you know, mm -hmm. oh, what look you've done to me. And it's like, nothing yeah. happened to you. This is not your yeah. property that someone stole or broke or, but, but that's the language or the, or the analogies people use. I remember the analogies people, um, youth pastors and anything, youth pastors and youth leaders are like 22, you know, 23. I mean, like these guys are all addicted to porn and masturbating and, you know, I mean, they're all in the same boat anyway. Mm -hmm. Um, and 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 the 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 analogies they use about women and their worth, you know, I remember uh, one uh, passed around a rose and said, "Everyone, pass the rose from rose." And as the rose, you know, would fall apart, as everyone touched it, and it's like, "Who wants this rose at the end?" And you're like, "Oh wow, that's a really messed up analogy." No one thinks like, "Well, maybe I think." God would still want the rose, right? I mean, I don't know. Jesus would still Mormonism want the rose. Mormonism or... has the same object it's, lesson. It's awful. It's, it's like, awful. But it's a uh, licked cupcake, chewed gum, uh -huh. you know, crinkled yeah. paper, the same kind of thing, though, as if that's like, it does not connect. It's not no. the same. And, and and then in the other room, you've got the guys and I'm in the guys room and every week it's like, all right, guys, who fell this week? Who screwed up this week? And it's the same question every week. And basically all the teenage boys did because the problem is with talking about it all the freaking time and making it the gospel right they never talked about yeah. love and how you could love the kids at your school yeah, well yeah. or things they talked about did you watch porn this week did you masturbate did you screw mm -hmm. up or whatever did you think about that girl sally you like at school yeah you know like all and that's all we did every single and i remember we had like accountability groups so you break into groups of three or four and you had to tell each other if you screwed up and and i'm like mm -hmm. we're all like you know it's, it's like blind leading the blind scenario i mean i have no idea yeah. how this is supposed to change or or, or break through and 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 it did. It, I literally went through my entire teenage years feeling like utter shit. 
Really? I mean, they, they got that low value, shame, bad, you know, yeah. you're nothing but a worm in goods through that mechanism of sex. That's how I yeah. saw everything in my relationship with God, with everything. I, my relationship with God was, you know, when you pray to God, well, you kind of got to have a buffer. So if you'd, you'd watch porn or something, you would never pray straight after. You almost like try and do some good things and then you could go and ask God for forgiveness, you know, <laughs> try and yeah. even the ballot. But my, my, it was just, Muddle, and that's how, they need that though. Religion yeah. needs that to convince you you're a problem, right? Broken, mm -hmm. unworthy, so that they can then keep you hooked that you need the solution. Because yeah. if you actually just believe, guess what? I'm a healthy person who's growing and learning and developing, yeah, and that you know, and worthy of love, if that's your default. It's going to be a lot harder to convince people that you need this, you know, solution, which right. isn't actually God. It's God as defined by particular men. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, evidenced by the fact that you and I had slightly different men telling us which God was, yeah, you know, we were going to be in. So this is interesting to me is, is, I mean, I see it quite often. I'm imagining you see it quite often that, and I, I don't think about this a lot through this lens, but this is a big holdover. When people start to deconstruct their faith, they start to find a bit of um, freedom. There is a great fear in having freedom because we don't trust ourselves. We, we actually do mm -hmm, kind of believe, mm -hmm. well, actually, I shouldn't be alive for you. I, I, it's scary that I'm yeah, thinking on right. my own, that I'm doing this, that I'm, you know, exploring doing this without the accountability group or the pastor or the bishop or whoever is keeping me in mm -hmm. line, you know? Um, mm -hmm. How do you, how do you go about helping people that are walking through that kind of start to see a bit of freedom, start to find a bit more self-worth? Yes. Yeah. So like that, it takes some time and practice to begin to consider yourself, what you think, what you feel, your own preferences, what you like, what you don't like. And I'm, and I just mean on simple things, like I'm guessing it may be similar in Christianity, but you know, Mormons aren't asked like, what do you like? What do you want? It's all no, like, here's what the, you should want is to figure out what God wants and do that. Right. <laughs> and we tell you what the God wants and all you have to do <laughs> is follow it, right? It's obedience, obedience, obedience. So you, you end up not fully developing a sense of self. Mm. And, and you are, you have been conditioned to believe what I call is a fixed mindset right? Which means that there is some perfect out there. And you're supposed to keep looking outside of yourself and mold yourself to it, mm. you know, and the whole goal is to figure out that whatever that is, and it's external, and it's fixed, and it's right, like, mm. and so, like, you have to lose yourself completely. I mean, we talked about sexuality, but purity culture and all of this really comes down to completely lose yourself, at which point you have earned righteousness, right? Mm. <laughs> Once you no longer exist and have become exactly like this perfect being that you could never actually be anyway, <laughs> right? <laughs> so nice. it takes away, like when children grow up in this, 
they never get to go through the stage of being able to say no mm. so that they can trust their yes. You know, as simple as like with toys, you have to share. Well, why do they have to share? Because mm. <laughs> external authority said you do, and we're going to impose fairness on you and act as if what you want doesn't matter right? Yeah. Versus guess what? It actually, you get to sometimes say you, this is yours. You get to choose if, and when you share it and with who, and, and as they start to own it, well, what are some reasons you might want to consider sharing? Right. When might sharing be, be fun for you? Mm. Do you think you might ever want, like having this dialogue, right? Do you see the yeah, difference? Yeah, yeah. It's huge. Like I mean where one is internal, like they come up with their own reasons and why it would make sense. Yeah. Like, well, how about when you go over to your other friend's house, do you like it when they share with you, you know, and you just kind of start to figure mm -hmm. out, well, what do you think might you might want to do? What kind of friend do you want to be? Yeah. And, yeah. and knowing, guess what? Sometimes maybe you don't want to for that time and that's okay too. Yeah. Like you get, to, that's the practice that's really important for kids to have. Yeah. So for kid, for people deconstructing, there's a little bit of going back and like practicing this thing. And it's a little bit messy and it does feel a little scary at first, mm. but in a fixed mindset, you can never win. Yeah, there is yeah. no win. You always are never enough. You will never make it. Okay. It's always something wrong with you in a growth mindset. So we want to help them move from the fixed mindset to a growth mindset. In the growth mindset, there is no wrong. Mm, yeah. Every there is no decision in which you can make, which will not be an opportunity to learn and grow from. Yeah, that's huge. Right? Yeah. It's massive. My wife's a, a teacher. So she talks about growth mindset all the time the kids so yeah. you, you I, I hear this so yeah. much and i'm like never thought of it in that context but you're right yeah. it's, it's that platonic kind of like there's the perfect world and everything else is a shadow and we're trying yeah. to get back to the whether it's the garden of eden or heaven or whatever yes. but like we can't we can't achieve this like perfect standard and, and it's interesting what fascinates me about that is how i don't know about you i was, I was gonna say how many times you heard this i don't know if you have but it to me i have heard countless uh christians saying well i don't even know why atheists don't go around just killing and raping because they must have yeah. no moral compass but it highlights yeah. that thing of there's a moral compass that is developed and there's a moral compass that is given yes. and ultimately one you follow because you have to the other you follow yes. because you you want to that that's who you have become and actually yes. the following a moral compass that you've been given is actually really terrifying because Yes. The second that you, for some reason, decide, oh, I could get away with this, or I might not have to, or yeah. you know, whatever, you've not developed this thing that says, oh, that's wrong. I'm not going to do it. Mm -hmm. You'll make all sorts of exceptions, right? So the moral compass that's given still says, thou shalt not murder, but it does say, well, you can murder all the Canaanites, right? And so now we go, mm -hmm. oh, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. there's this given moral compass that I can interpret in different ways rather than yeah. actually having developed my own thing of going, I actually think. I'm just not going to kill people. It feels really good not to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, um, and, and so it's, it's really interesting. I hadn't thought of it like that, but um, 
it's it's a scary thing for i mean the fact that people say that all the time it mm-hmm. highlights that it's a scary thing for people to think oh i can i'm gonna have to develop yeah. my own morality my own set of ethics that rather than just having yeah. this is what you should do this is how to do your life this is you know how to conduct yourself they that they have actually they don't realize it but they have learned to worship rules mm. You know, because that's really what it boils down to in obedience culture, right? As long as you follow the rules, you'll be safe is the message. And and the message is you are broken. So why would you think you can do it, right? When you get out of that and you realize when you're starting from this other foundation, actually, you're not broken. Actually, the rules you develop by looking at and liking your own reasons, like it's not logical to murder people. Yeah. Like yeah. we don't come wanting to do that. It's not our default. Right? Maybe it's not a our tiny, default. tiny fraction of people maybe no. at a push, but generally it's speaking, not. I think that's not going to happen. No, actually the growth mindset is the default. Yeah. You know, you look at any kid learning to walk. They don't go, oh, crap, I fell down 50 times. Clearly, I'm not going to be one of these humans who's going to be able to walk. Right. I'm going to need my parents to carry me around for the rest of my life. Mm. I'm, a sh- I'm, yeah. you know, I'm the problem here. Yeah. It would take a dysfunctional parent to do right? that, right? Yeah. yeah, right. They have to be taught the fixed. The, the actual get-go is like, no, I can totally do it. Mm. I don't, and, and falling isn't the problem yeah wow it's it's you just keep figuring out well i'm gonna keep trying i'm gonna keep learning you know it's the thomas edison how many times did he not invent the light bulb before he did Mm. so because if he would have had the fixed mindset you know this he would have given up a long time before but every time was like oh i learned something from that time that didn't work i learned something right so in that growth which really is the default there is the ability to keep moving forward without needing to be perfect ever yeah right which means you can actually kind of love yourself on the way you can just celebrate yeah. moving forward. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it's totally normal for all those fears to come up. Mm. That that conditioning in one's head is powerful. It's in the subconscious. I do not recommend that we fight it mm. because then you're at war with yourself and that is a war you cannot win. Yeah. Right? So what instead, what is more useful is to notice it, Mm. become more and more aware of it. And you could say to friend it, to parent it, to welcome it, to enter into a relationship with it, Mm. knowing that fear when it shows up, it's part of you, but it's not all of you. You're actually bigger and more powerful than that. Mm. And you actually have the capacity to feel it without believing you're in danger. Yeah, that's really good. I I have chronic pain, and um, chronic pain, generally speaking, your your brain is constantly getting hundreds of thousands of signals, and um, basically it, it filters them into two categories: are you safe mm-hmm. or is it dangerous? Mm-hmm. And if you get more dangerous signals than safety signals, you just your brain goes, okay, feel pain. Um, mm-hmm. Vice versa, if you get more safety signals, you go, oh, 
You're fine. Mm -hmm. You don't need to feel pain. And it's why like you can, mm -hmm. I don't know, blow your leg off on a landmine and still not feel pain necessarily. You, your brain is weighing up all the dangers and the safeties and goes, well, actually you've got a medic right there. You're seeing whatever, you know, it's okay. We don't need to feel pain right now for whatever reason. But it also means that people who were bit by a spider three years ago can scratch their leg on a twig and think, oh, I've been bitten by a spider and feel agony and the pain is just it's really the way all all pain yeah. is is decided by the brain it's, but it's, it's, it's an interpretation yeah it's fascinating because it, mm -hmm. one of the techniques they've they've uh, worked with me and work with people with chronic pain is listening to your body and go oh wow you're in pain and and, and going ha oh, okay brain wow oh so you think that mine is in my hands so you think i'm in mm -hmm. danger because i'm typing on my keyboard because in the past that caused pain but it doesn't mm -hmm. really cause me pain anymore. I am safe, aren't I? I'm, I'm you know, almost mm -hmm. soothing yeah. yourself with that safety. Right. And it's and it's acknowledging, right. oh, in the past, you were that was a really terrifying thing. If you masturbated, yeah. that meant you were gonna burn in hell for eternity, or and I know yeah. it's different from Warren's, but um, you know, but but that's we know that's not true, and actually you're okay, you're safe. Whether that's mm -hmm. a good or bad thing, it's not important right now. You're safe, it's okay, let's move mm -hmm. forward. Like it's such a totally yes. different way of caring for ourselves, especially when we've mm -hmm. typically found that in another person. And I guess, mm -hmm. is this a dynamic that um, exists certainly for, for us in the evangelical world uh, or, or out of the evangelical world? But um, I find a lot of people come to me wanting me to be their new authority figure. So right. I'm out of this bubble. I'm learning to be free to whatever, to whatever. Mm -hmm. Tell mm -hmm. me what freedom is. <laughs> Tell me what to believe. Tell me what to do. Mm -hmm. Tell me. And I, I try and walk the line of I, I, people genuinely guidance. And, and that's a great thing. But actually on the whole, I'm really very reticent to, to, to do that yeah. because I think we're just filling another, um, mm -hmm. we're just giving them another crutch in a sense. Mm -hmm. um, is, is that mm -hmm. something that people, um, how would you help people that are needing to kind of make that transition from being reliant on the system, on people, on, on a leader yeah. to, to trying to learn to do that themselves or, or maybe with others in a more healthy way? I don't know. Do you have yeah, thoughts no, on that? It's a great question. And I'm with you. It was one of my fears, like stepping out, like I don't want to be anyone's guru, right? That's the last thing <laughs> I want to show up as. And yeah it's caused a lot of soul searching, you know, for me. Um, I think when I, when I take a breath, right. <laughs> and it, what people actually need is some tools, some strategies, some skills, those can be sh shared, right? You can mm. show like what we just talked about with the, oh, hey, fear or pain or brain, right? Like a skill to learn to see what that could sound like, the dialogue in their own head. Mm. So getting tools, practical tools, strategies to deal with these moments is very useful for them. Mm. Dialogue and having someone who's outside them begin to ask them questions is extraordinarily useful. So that's another, like, that's part of like a really essential part of coaching. So when someone like I, I start to ask them <laughs> and there are times sometimes when they get stuck because they haven't had exposure to any other possible way, right? Like what could, I, like, I get it. I don't like this thought pattern or I don't. 
Like, I don't like the way this worked for me when I was younger. I want a parent different. I'm just mm. giving you an example here, right? But I can't even imagine what that could look like. So that's where I can then share several options and say, well, you know, here's some ways you could consider. That could sound like this, or that could sound like this, or you might want to try this, right? So, so you're opening up and expanding their, yeah. their, what they can see is like that platter to choose from. Yeah. You know, and well, which one do you think would be useful for you? Or which one might you be interested in trying? Yeah. It's, and, it feels like it's a very subtle line to walk. I know for me, uh, not on my side when I'm helping someone, but I feel like when I've sought that in other people, especially early on in my deconstruction, mm-hmm. I've, I've really struggled to acknowledge that in myself or, or spot that in myself. A lot of time I'm like, oh no, I'm just, I'm just dialoguing with someone or whatever, but I'm actually mm-hmm. often building this person up into my new prophet, Joseph Smith, or, you know, new Jesus yes, Christ yes, or yes, Billy yes. Graham or whoever your hero is. Yeah. Um, have you, have you found that in, in your journey that, um, how, how did you find yourself disconnecting from needing that, from, from wanting that dynamic? Um, mm. Is that just part of a slow, gradual process of learning to love? Yeah. Or? Well, no, it was a process for me too. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, mm. I relate. And, you know, and there was a time, in fact, where, you know, in some of the elements, some of the... Uh, in which like the program I was originally mentored in as a coach, there are aspects of that, that were a bit not intentional as authoritarian, right? Mm. But just because of the dynamics and the way it was set up, you know, it could definitely be interpreted that way as these tools are the solution to everyone's problem, right? If you just do this, this, and And this. Yeah. And so I could see why, like I was, I, I personally coming out was still looking for something in that realm. And then there came a place where I recognized, oh, that's what's happening for me. And, and then there was that time like, well, I don't want to, if I'm going to be perhaps like either working with people one-on-one, but maybe in a group situation, like I don't want to be someone's guru what would I need to do? How would I have to go about setting that up mm-hmm. in order to make it my real focus to empower mm. rather than merely teach, right? So mm. like this has been super important to me and I'm still like walking my way through all of those aspects. But what I can tell you is like, it's always on my mind. I I want to create places where other people can talk to each other, some, you know, and that I don't have all the answers for anybody. I don't, I will not proclaim that I do. I do not speak for God. I don't want that stress. (laughs) (laughs) Right. But I do believe that people will be, can figure out, have access to higher wisdom within themselves. And sometimes they do need someone outside them to hold that space, to Mm. ask questions, to share options, to help them see the beliefs they may be carrying with them from their background that aren't, isn't like, 
the traditional like stories of scripture or messages you would hear in a Sunday school class. There are these more subtle beliefs, like I'm broken, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> or that people need rules or chaos will ensue yeah. or yeah. Um, or like, I'm a bad person if I say what I want, mm. right? Like that there's internalized beliefs often for people coming out of religion that that's selfish. And yeah. actually it's not accurate. It's actually the least selfish thing you can do to hone in to your own wants, to be radically honest, to think about what reasons you want to do something, to take care of yourself because the only other alternative is to manipulate other people yeah. so that your needs are met <laughs> and so when you're not doing that when you're honest about what you want even in the context of a relationship you actually give the other person the opportunity to choose mm, yeah you let them off the hook you say no i'm not going to manipulate you Right. And you are not responsible to figure out how to meet all my needs and read my mind and my wants. You know, I will share, but I, this is like, or I might make a request, but you can say no. Mm. I can handle it. And it's not your fault, even if I'm disappointed. I can be disappointed. Yeah. I can figure out what else I might want to do, how to move forward. I'm an adult. You're an adult. Right. I think if I would had to break it down into the one boundary that is the most problematic over and over and over again with like probably everybody that comes out of authoritarian religion is over responsibility for other people's feelings mm. and not trusting oneself to be able to feel one's own feelings. Mm. Yeah. Well, it's, it's devaluing yourself. Right. And it's, it's elevating the group, the, the, mm -hmm. the community, the, whatever it mm -hmm. is, it's such a, it's a very early psychological state, you know, that, that, that denying self for the sake of the group. It's that's, you know, in, in child psychology, that's kind of like, I don't know, is that age five through maybe 10? Um, and so when we're looking at, you know, as an adult to still be in somewhat in that psychological state where we're, we're going to turn down our own desires and wants so that the group feels safe so that other people are happy right. so that this is a very but it's not even thing. so that it's it's your own perception of what they mm, need, yeah right? yeah and then, yeah like we're just older, imagining what they want like you're deciding ahead of time that they're going to be disappointed without even giving them information to be disappointed about mm. deciding what else you need to do so that they aren't really it's a way you are saying in a very subtle way without mm. like often recognizing it other person that i don't think you can handle it yeah yeah you're i believe your pain is stronger than you mm. right if you are gonna have it it means i'm going to take away the human experience and your opportunity to consider yeah. how you want to feel mm. and really all of our feelings come from our own brain 100 of the time like if, if we really want to get scientific about it, Phil, like you cannot actually hurt someone else's feelings. Mm -hmm. You can say words, but their brain is going to interpret a meaning 
they're going to decide if that's good, bad, safe, whatever. Like, um, you know, you could bring someone flowers and have all the goodness in your heart. And they could think, I love flowers. That's so awesome and feel happy, right? But they could also think, oh my gosh, you're five minutes late. Did you not remember we're supposed to be at this appointment? <laughs> right? You're out running around buying flowers, you idiot. Yeah. <laughs> yes. They could have also heard from several friends, you know, friends who bring you flowers. Like I've had three do that. This means they're in multi-level marketing. They're about to come at you. So you show up unannounced without flowers, like, oh crap. Yeah. <laughs> right? You could have all the goodness in your heart. You do not actually have the power to mm. make them feel one way or the other. And you could do everything you think they want you to do, and they can still feel mm. upset, disappointed, mad, right? Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they can. <laughs> we yeah. really know this intellectually. So the moment we get over-involved in somebody else's brain and try to control like uh, what they're thinking, how they're feeling, already we are disempowering not only ourselves, but them. Mm, yeah. You know, it's not kind. No, absolutely. Right? What's yeah. kind is to show up and like you can, like the goal you can do is like, I want to give my friend flowers. I love this person. I care. This is my sign. However they react to them, whether they love them or not, you can have no regrets knowing your own yeah. intention. Yeah. That that's part really is, good. that's in your control. Yeah. We, we tend to create these little mini worlds and suffer them, don't we? we? We create a world where we, where I know how Claudine will interpret me giving her flowers. And therefore, because I know she would then get upset I won't give her the flowers and then blah, blah. And, and we created this whole world mm -hmm. and we've seen the outcomes and we've decided everything else and you weren't actually a part of it. You know, right. <laughs> it's, a, yeah. it's, it's a remarkably yeah. selfish thing to do it in, in a lot of ways as well, actually. Yeah. Um, wow. It, mm -hmm. One thing I'm really interested, I'd, I'd, love to, I'd love to pick your brains on the post-Mormon experience and the trajectory of post-Mormonism uh, generally. Uh, I, a lot of people um, that are deconstructing most people I talk with are generally coming out of Christian backgrounds, a handful from, from Mormon um, backgrounds. It, interestingly, in my experience, most of the people that are coming out of Mormonism that end up talking to me are often quite interested in exploring some form of conventional Christianity um, mm. as some sort of stepping stone of like, well, I don't want to give up all kinds of faith or religion. I just, I, I see a problem with Mormon. I, I don't like the way they're handling money or the system is oppressive or they're a bit too patriarchal or whatever the issue is right and they go but maybe a, a christian church that's just a little bit like more kind of open frame you know whatever uh, so that's a fascinating thing now what's interesting is most of the people that then do i'm very hands-off i'm like hey go to a church check it out oh, i'm not a big fan uh, but uh, you know most of them then end up going okay and they keep moving on beyond that into something um, yes. else but what's interesting is there seems to be a desire in most people to map out a process and go, oh yeah, okay, so if you go from here to here to here mm -hmm. to here, everyone ultimately will end up here, which happens to almost always be where they are right now, right? Because <laughs> we're perfect and we figured it out. Um, do you see a kind of trajectory, a path when people kind of go, oh, I'm not sure about this Mormonism, I feel betrayed, I feel I'm not happy with it. 
do they go into Eastern religion? Do they go into humanism? Do they, or, or can it look very, very varied and quite different? Yeah, that's interesting. I'm thinking, um, you know, I've seen quite a few different paths. Mm. Um, I can say personally, like for a very short period of time, I did explore other like Christian churches uh, in part because of that loss of community, you know, mm. also the loss of structure, something to do on Sunday, right? Like even people to love and serve, to be part yeah. of, to show up. Um, I think some people like do a little bit of exploration, um, either in that world or sometimes through like universal Unitarianism or some kind of like people want that community yeah. <laughs> connection no, or at least yeah so it's not a common thing outside mm -hmm. of some sort of religious structure either is it that mm -hmm. kind of community feel especially something as tight as mormonism you, you, you're gonna probably yeah. have to find something quite religious to experience such a tight-knit community mm -hmm. generally speaking mm. i think the majority of people though that i know like don't end up doing that yeah you know when i really think i don't have stats i can no, give of you course, yeah. i just get through all we're working on getting people. stats so uh, that's you know, something i'm hoping to see. lots in terms of like i think most people don't trust religion mm. um or they they maybe want to hang on to a certain aspect, but they don't know how to do that. Yeah, you know that maybe they would don't want to like. And I think we have to make the a separation here between authoritarian type religion, because there are some like if you look at a spectrum, you know, there's like the Richard is it Roar Richard mm -hmm. Roar. Yeah, you know these they, they take the Bible and stories, but they hone in on principles, mostly love, and yeah. um and they're a very different kind of Christian in my opinion. Yep, I would agree with <laughs> you that. Know, this is like <laughs> tell you what to do, obedience and loyalty culture, right? So, like, I think that it's going to depend on people's individual values, what's most important to them. Mm. And I think it's really healthy and useful to talk to lots of people and just kind of hear what, yeah. what's meaningful to them and why. Yeah. And that, and realize again, it's a process. Um, yeah. There isn't though, anything exactly like the ready-made community with Mormonism, right? Yeah. Like yeah. you can only get that. And I, I've seen this in documentaries of other like cults, right? Mm, yeah. Like, yeah. I mean that like really intense sense of family and there's ones that even do it more than that. But the more connected, that way it does create this very unique environment that mm. you're probably not going to get in any organization that opts for allowing more difference. Yeah. Yeah. So I think a lot of people get value 
in that Unitarian Universalism type yeah. structure. They, yeah. It gives the community the values, but you know, you can be atheist, you can be Christian, Very you can be open, Buddhist, you can have, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do, you, do you think that a lot of people hold on to some level of spirituality and, and that dynamic? I'm always intrigued by when people come out completely of a religious concept, the, the difference between people that go hard atheist and go, that's it, I'm done, I don't believe in anything, to a more soft kind of agnostic position of going, well, actually, I still, I still hold to some sort of spiritual realm. Maybe like talking of your parents mm-hmm. coming home and tell, or your mom coming home yeah. and talking about, you know, crazy, weird, yeah. spiritual kind of, this is crazy. I don't know what to do with it. I don't believe in anything. I'm not a Muslim. I'm not a Christian. I'm not a Buddhist. But that was weird, wasn't it? You know, the, I, I'm intrigued as well by how many people, we're working really hard to get data on this as mm-hmm. part of our research. We do research mm-hmm. on deconstructing um, Christians and, and different faiths as well. Um, so hopefully we'll get more data on that. But do you think people coming out of Mormonism, it's not just community, but there is some level of spirituality? Or do you think people are quite quick to drop that a lot of the time? Well, I really think it depends mm. on how you define spirituality. You know, like what human beings cannot live without is stories. Yeah. So I would suggest like my gut instinct i don't have stats but what i can say is every single thing you've suggested here is just a new story right everybody needs a story for how to deal with things they don't understand they need a story to define this sense of awe like they want to feel this connection to being part of something bigger you know we still have to have language like conscience right? Everything really comes down to words and stories and how you spin it and put it together. Like even this, even the word spirituality, this is a human construct, right? The word God is a human construct. So like people in the same religious congregation sitting on the same pew, both may be saying the same word, God, but in their own brains, in their life experience, they are not interpreting it the same. They're just under the illusion that everybody sitting in that church congregation sees God the same way they do. And it's probably, it's just not accurate. Mm. It, you know, religion and church congregations as they come together, they present these beautiful illusions. Mm. And so I don't like, I don't know how you can re like, are you looking at different people's religious experiences? Or are we looking, is this a language survey that you're yeah. doing? Right? Yeah. No, absolutely. It's, it's, it's one of the problems. Of, this is why I'm working mm-hmm. with a research company. <laughs> yeah. It is complex dealing with these kind of um, topics. And, and especially when you're working with very clear, uh, or I should say very clearly self-identified um, definitions and, and mm-hmm. categories. Um, even yeah. what is a deconstructed faith, you know, I mean, well, like you put 300 people in a room of having all deconstructed their faith and we'll all be different and have different experiences, yes. done it for different reasons, different ways to different ends. It's, it's a very fascinating uh, thing. It just shows so how unique it is though to, to people and, and the stories that we do tell ourselves, the myths that we create to, to yeah. frame and give meaning um, can be so unique. It's, it's very, very interesting. We cannot live without stories. Yeah. So I, and I think it is one of the tr- like most, um, 
I don't know, unsettling, maybe is the word I'm looking for. One of the most unsettling losses of leaving religion, you know, mm. because you lose like your sense and connection to the stories, at least in the way you related to them before at minimum. Yeah. So, you know, reconstruction, that process in part is really the process of building new stories, mm. new stories about how you're going to see yourself, how you're going to see your life, how you're going to see your relationships, how you're going to see the world. Yeah. Like we cannot live without stories. Yeah. <laughs> we must have them. And so the, this is the seeking we all do and we don't feel settled until at least we get a story that helps us move towards other stories. Yeah. No, I couldn't agree more. I could not agree more. Mm -hmm. As someone who is still figuring out what the heck uh, stories I'm piecing together and how I fit in this story, um, that's it. It's, it, it's a yeah. beautiful way to, um, to sum it up, really. It is. It's, it's, it's the story doesn't work anymore. The story isn't true. And well, what parts yeah. were true? And how do I fit in that? And what do I need to add? And do I need to explore other stories and find ways to mm -hmm. kind of create a, a bigger overarching story that I can fit into and give myself meaning and purpose and an identity? And yeah, it's, it's a, it's a painful, exciting, terrifying, fun journey. <laughs> Even our story of truth. Mm. Right. This is getting down to the more basic thing. Like, and this is part of what I share with people, what we're, some of the processes we work through in coaching is really get down to like the bare bones facts. And when I say we're getting to a fact, this is like, okay, this has to be one that both Republicans and Democrats <laughs> believers and non-believers right yeah people in every country of the world if we looked at this everyone would say yes in fact mm. that is like there is a tree in my front yard okay like i am a 51 year old woman okay these are the kinds of things okay well, probably most of us humans we're not going to get really like that might, we could call that a fact, a truth, Sure. right? Yeah. What that means, the moment though we say that statement, our subconscious brain kicks in and makes an interpretation. Yeah. Was that good or bad? Do I yeah. like, you know, what do I think about 51 year old <laughs> being a 51 year old, right? My brain is like already, and that like, we don't perceive all that's happening in the background. Yeah. And it's really useful sometimes to you know go and look okay well what actually is the fact and then what is our perception of that and what else is coming up and let's look at that from a variety of and do we want to maintain that belief do we want to consider a slightly different story yeah. to tell about yeah. that and those are those moments that's how we get past like the like the ideas of like i am selfish right for wanting mm. or i can't tell my spouse that i'm you know i don't want to be part of the church anymore mm -hmm. well why do you think that well let's figure out what are, what are the underlying stories what are those assumptions mm. and you know my background actually it's uh, my master's degrees in english with an emphasis of okay. composition and rhetoric so what is really fascinating is how much how useful that is because really we're looking at underlying assumptions mm. what religions do is like they're amazing advertisers you yeah. know it's not just what they say 
that gets stored in our subconscious brain. It's these very subtle messages that are implied. Yeah. And this is why sometimes you get people going, well, the church doesn't actually teach that. <laughs> well, actually, yes, they do. But it would take me an hour to walk you through how this message has this, under, right? These underlying assumptions yeah. we have to dig in to see actually where are you picking this, like that, that message is coming through loud and clear. Your subconscious brain is fast and it's got, so given that, what, what, what if you could feed your brain or open up like this is, again, it doesn't have to be perfect, but what if we can open up to the possibility we could consider believing or thinking about this in a very new way Mm. that could change everything. And once you start shifting some of these more central beliefs and have somebody help you see actually what's the result of believing that my want or my, my communicating this is selfish, right? Once you believe that, well, how does that make you feel? And then how do you show up? Mm. And then what kind of spouse are you showing up as? And how, how is this impacting? What's the result for you in your life? Yeah. And as you start looking at all that, that's a way to actually evaluate your beliefs in, that's more practical yep. than like just, well, I should and I shouldn't and I have to and I must, right? Yeah. Those are red flag words in your yeah. thought patterns every time. Yeah. It's a big jump to step out of living um, in that duality, though, this right, wrong, left, right, good, mm-hmm. bad, black, white. You know, mm-hmm. when you, especially when you've been living in a, a structured, authoritarian religion you know i mean um half our culture that doesn't do that still is very dualistic you know i mean you just have to look at american culture as a whole right i mean it is are you red or blue republican or democrat right i mean we've got our yes no black white right and everyone will disagree about which side is right or wrong but you know we all agree that my side is right and you are wrong um and and so you know even outside of religion we can be so deeply dualistic we're so ingrained in what's right and what's wrong and what we think is is for the best and for the worst and um it's a really um and, and it's yeah at the same time it's probably one of the most important journeys to go on is a is the development right. of a healthy yeah, yes. human uh with, with good mental health and and maybe telling good stories about our yeah. world and finding ourselves in something healthy um it's really huge um I, I like that a lot i was when you were saying that i was just thinking of um I don't know if you're familiar with the comedian um, Ricky Gervais. You know, he does all sorts mm-hmm. of TV shows, movies. He's British, but um, he tells it this way because uh, he's an atheist. And 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 basically, someone was saying to him, like, "Well, you know, how do you know religion's wrong?" And he says, "Well, let me put it this way." He says, "You find me a religion, okay?" And he says, "And let me destroy every single thing that talks about that religion or has recorded that religion, and then we'll fast forward two thousand years, and if that religion." is true we'd have the same book someone would come up with a bible someone would come up with jesus you know someone mm-hmm. and he says and the funny thing is about most religions is that's never going to happen with any of them he's like now right. we could come up with some new stories that talk about similar themes that are true he's like yeah there's mm-hmm. loads in religion that's true um but the story around it that we are exploring is going to ebb and flow with our culture with who we are with how we with our own neuroses or whatever else um, and I think that's the the thing that I think to me, as you're saying that, that I'm thinking of like, how do I explore that in myself? How do I question that? It's, it's the thing of, if I took myself out of my, my life and my culture, my, uh, you know, upbringing, whatever, 
would I end up with the same idea that I'm worthless? Would I end up with the same concept of this? And actually, maybe some of the things I would hold, maybe I would hold to some things like, oh, it's a good thing to love people. It's a bad thing to kill people. I don't know, maybe, maybe some of those will kind of hold as fairly timeless. Who knows? Um, I know you can find some cultures where they don't have a problem with killing certain people in certain contexts, right? So maybe not, um, but... Yeah, well, it's tribally constructed in many exactly. ways, right? right? Right now we are tribal, I mean, humans are tribal beings until very recently. Mm. We didn't have the ability you know, to fly around the world, yeah. to communicate like you and I are right now, you yeah. know, a hundred years ago, we would have never been able to have this conversation. No, one of us so, probably would have died in the journey, making it happen. You know? <laughs> part of what I believe is actually happening right now, this very like unsettling to so many of us is the tribes are being disrupted, mm. right? Yeah. Our old tribes, like the way, uh, we were built, our ancestors were set up, is like the people that were geographically close to us were our tribe. Yeah. yeah. And it did make sense to stay connected and to cooperate with them and to be able to fight off, you know, yeah. saber-toothed tigers that may come after the tribe and to work together to do this. It did help us survive. Yeah. So, you know, as tribal beings, we actually care more about belonging than we mm -hmm. do evidence. We yeah. think we like look at evidence, but actually it's our tribal messages and stories that filter the very evidence we're willing mm -hmm. to seriously consider. So yeah. like that, that whole, like every time you come back to truth, my, my, uh, I think, well, I think, I prefer to use the language it works or it doesn't. It serves us. It is it's useful. Yeah. Like what are we actually trying to accomplish? Because if it's not a fact, it's a story. If we don't all agree on it, or the yeah. moment we add good or bad, right or wrong, right, then it's a story. Yeah. <laughs> uh, meaning there's always another optional way to describe the thing, to think about the thing. Yeah. And that I just don't know that I believe anymore these terms, right and wrong as point blank, mm -hmm. are helping us to have the conversations that we need yeah. to actually achieve the goals or to create the systems, the laws, whatever it is that will actually like that more of us actually do agree on, but we can't see it because we're so caught in our tribes, right? Like we yeah. have to choose pro-life or pro-choice. Well, most pro-life people aren't as pro-life as it might sound. Mm -hmm. No, most of them aren't anti-birth control. There are some. Most of them, though, would, if there was a 10-year-old raped by her older brother and she was pregnant, most of those people would not oppose the morning after pill. Mm -hmm. They would go, well, in that circumstance, maybe, right? Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. there is a spectrum. Most pro-choice people don't think that somebody should just be able to abort their eight-month old fetus for just any reason, because they've changed their mind, right? Sure. <laughs> like, yeah. and with yeah. any method whatsoever. 
So like the fact that there are these two camps is, is problematic because there, there may be a lot more things like that. If we're trying to work together and accomplish some things, you know, honing in on the things that like, well, actually, like, let's work towards some of this that we could get done instead of you're the enemy because you don't mm. see everything I do. The moment we do that, we're like shutting down our creative powers. Yeah. No, absolutely. So, Claudine, anyway, yeah. I have loved this chat. We're, we're rapidly running out of time, um, which devastates me on many levels. Um, <laughs> but I have absolutely loved chatting with you. How can people who have uh, enjoyed this want to connect with you, want to follow what you're doing? Um, what are some of the best ways uh, to do that? And I'll make sure they're in the show notes and, and people can do that. Yeah. So you can follow me on Facebook or Instagram, uh, okay. Post Mormon Mental Health. And or I have a website, postmormonmentalhealth.com. Okay. Those are the easiest ways. You can awesome. email me. Also, Claudine at Postmormon Mental Health. Perfect. Wonderful. I will make sure they're there. Uh, people listening, if you enjoyed that, do get in touch with uh, Claudine. Let her know yeah. that you, you loved it. Um, definitely, I mean, of those options, I've, I've flicked through your website, but I've, I've probably spent most time on your on your Instagram. And I love the stuff yes. you're posting. I, I love Thank the stuff you. you're posting on your stories and um, and and on your, on your profile. Just really interesting helpful insightful stuff um and so and i do think that you know i think we both agree on this that the crossover in our worlds is mm -hmm. very big and so if you have come out of a christian world and you think well that's mormonism hopefully after listening to this for a couple of hours almost you kind of gone oh actually there's probably a lot i can learn here and a lot i can take away yeah, um, but yeah, yeah we are so on much. the same human journey i think and Absolutely. phil likewise i just want to say i honor what you're doing you know i love that you're looking at research that you're interviewing people i think these conversations are so important mm, and absolutely. that we all who have come out of religion we need to know we're not alone yeah you no know? and that there there are people who understand the process and and that we can move forward absolutely. you know it it can and it does keep getting better from those you know original months yeah. you know no, it, it, it certainly does it certainly does yes. i've seen enough people mm -hmm. uh moving in that trajectory that i know that well if you're not there already you will be you will get there you hang in there um, but yeah yes. no thank you so much thank you for what you're doing it's really helpful it's really important i'm enjoying it a lot anyway um but yeah we'll, we'll chat soon and catch up and I'll, I'll let you know when this uh, all comes out as well awesome uh, yeah. thank you all right have a good day yeah thanks you too right. mm -hmm. bye, bye. All right, so that was Claudine Gallagher of Post-Mormon Mental Health. Um, do give her a follow on Instagram or Facebook, whichever one you're on. It's just Post-Mormon Mental Health. Um, or check out our website, postmormonmentalhealth.com. She's on it with the tags, right? Consistent across the board. Um, you won't regret giving her a follow online. She's posting really helpful, uh, insightful information. And as we covered in the podcast, there's such a great overlap between um, what most of us on this podcast are, are probably coming out of some form of conventional Christianity, not Mormonism. Um, but uh, if you are coming out of one of those uh, kind of movements, you, you can see that the overlap there is huge. And so what she's talking about, um, about you know rebuilding community, finding some mental health, uh, finding some space, 
space, um, you know, working on your past hurts, wounds, um, dealing with depression, dealing with um, being rejected, dealing with existential fears, a lot of the different things that we struggle with um, as uh you know, ex-evangelicals or, or people coming out of conventional Christian movements, that's a very similar overlap with the Mormon movement. And so do give her a follow, check her out, give her a message and let her know you love this podcast. Um, I know the guests always love to hear if, if the uh, the podcast was well received and I'm always trying to sh- pass on uh, when you say you love it uh, to them, but I know they would love to get some feedback directly. And so do shoot them a text and tell them that um, you loved it over on Instagram or, or Facebook. Um, yeah, uh, as always, check out the Grace Course for lots of great um, free uh, videos, teachings on all sorts of different topics. Uh, the Deconstruction Network, if you're deconstructing and you feel alone in that journey, um, the Deconstruction Network is a great place to go where you can connect with people in your local area that are going through deconstruction of faith um, and hopefully try and build some sort of community, make some friends, connect with people that are on a similar wavelength that have gone through similar um, uh, processes of, of losing their faith or re-imagining uh, their faith. And, and that can be so helpful for uh, so many of us. That's a very lonely process. We're doing great research across the, the deconstruction community as well. And we'd love to have you involved with that over at the deconstructionnetwork.com. Um, and as I said at the beginning, if you want to become a partner, um, a Patreon of, of what I'm doing, I do everything I do for free. Um, all my resources, all the talking to people online, helping people as they, they process their deconstruction and their faith. Um, it's all for free. And so I, I, I really do live off donations. Uh, and so if you would like to become a part of uh, the people that support me, um, you can do that over at phildrysdale.com. And that makes a huge difference as a thank you. You can be plugged in on the on the discussion group that we've got going on. You can um, get plugged in into the monthly Zoom calls that we do. And, and there's a few other perks in there. It's very hard to come up with perks. When you give everything away for free, it's very hard to come up with uh, ideas of what to give people as a perk uh, for donating. But there's a few on there if, if you're interested. Things like Skype calls and, and things like that. But uh, yeah, I really appreciate you guys' time. I really appreciate you guys' attention. I love that you guys spend such a long time listening to me ramble on with different guests. Um, it, it is a privilege to um, to be able to uh, do, do this journey with you and go on this journey with you. Um, and so I'll see you in the next episode in a few days. Cheers. <laughs>